Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. This show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Welcome to episode 55 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on pretty much whatever topic we want. I'm your host, Lou Schwalbach, and along with me, as always, is Chad Knight. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Whereas last week we went to the happy and good side of love and romance, this week we're going to flip the coin and travel to the dark side of every relationship. (laughs) Which is usually the end of one. More often than not, when a breakup happens, it's not the most amicable situation, and when that stuff happens, the emotions have to go somewhere, right? Some people may destroy or burn their former flame stuff. See what I did there? Yeah, I gotcha. While others may cry in their beer or tubs of haagen while watching some sappy, schmaltzy movie. How about you pour your beer in your haagen Oh, I've had beer float, ice beer floats before. Yeah? Actually, not bad. Now, I can't speak for my cohort here, but I'm not planning on doing any of those things. But I will tell you this. What we will be doing is we'll be exploring and listening to the third option. And what's that? That's where someone puts their emotions on paper, writing, finger quotes, therapeutic poetry, and then sets it to music, which is also known as the anti-romance or breakup song. All the songs that we'll be talking about today have some form of darkness or venom to them. Someone was done wrong and they's going to pay, at least verbally. Now, love and hate are such strong emotions that there are a ton of songs to pick from. Maybe you'll hear one of your favorites that you like or that has helped you get through a rough patch. So start shredding the love poems and letters that you were given and keep cutting the faces out of those delicate pictures while we get the show started. <laughs> wow. How are you doing, sir? Pretty good. How are you? <laughs> you sound like you're in a dark place, my friend. Uh, I've been to that place before. I think but, we all have at one point or another. But you know what? I'm in a good place now, so it's it's kind of hard to dredge the memories sometimes. Yeah, you know, sometimes memories are just there to remind you that you're in a good place now. Well, exactly. That's that's actually a really good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... Yeah, that shitty thing happened, but now... It makes I'm, you a better person because yeah, of it. Yeah, and you're like, okay, so I don't need to worry too much about this with this person because she's not a complete psycho. Yeah, and if it, if the way, if it started to show up, you kind of know what you're in for. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so let's say before anything else, we get liquored up. I think we're going to need it. Okay, so today I picked up... A Samuel Adams beer. It's got an owl on the cover with ski goggles. Yeah. It's called Cold Snap. It is a white ale with spices, which concerns me, but, you know, hey. Uh, 12-ounce bottle, 5.3% alcohol, and 10 IBUs. I know we talked about that, but don't remember because don't so much care. And so, what do you think? I think it has... Uh, it I has actually it. really like the label. I, I normally don't go into that, but I really like this label, and I don't know why. It's an owl with goggles, and in the goggles you can see the mountains. I I liked the bottle. I mean, it was kind of neat, and it's cold as balls right now. Yeah. So that's why I got it, and I'm just like, yeah, we'll give it a try. So what do you say? But I don't know. It scares me, man. White ale and spices added. But they don't tell you what kind of spices, and I'm smelling this, and I'm just really smelling Sam Adams, but it is is not clear. No, it is not. In fact, actually, I held this up to the light, and it's kind of whitish. Well, it's a white ale, but it's hazy. There's shit in there, man. 
All right, and it's Sam Adams, which I am not a huge fan of all Sam Adams. I have only really found one Sam Adams I like, and that's just the base, their lager. I love their Boston lager. Cherry Wheat, um, me and I liked, I know Nick liked, and (laughs) Teeman obviously liked. Yeah. (laughs) He was having relationships with that bottle. He was having a mouthgasm. (laughs) All right, here we go. Ooh. Hmm. That is surprising. Yeah, it is. I mean, I I don't know how to put it. I really don't. I do. It's, I've got it. Yummy. It's it's really mild. Yeah. Well, I, white ales tend to be mild. Well, I don't think I've ever had it. I've had pale ales. Yeah. I've not really had a white ale. No, this one is. It has a good finish to it. It's almost got a buttery back end. Yeah. It's not. There's no sharpness to it. Mm-mm. No. This is a. It's a really smooth beer. I enjoy this one. Don't know. Don't care what the spices are. Um. No, real smooth. I actually, I enjoy this one. I I don't know if um, I'm gonna keep going with it. And let's say I'm gonna go thumbs up. I'm gonna go bar because it's really it's good enough that you are a beer snob, sir. I know what I like. No, it's like I said that I think that I might change my opinion by the end of the episode, which you've done before. So yep. I have a, I have a mulligan out there for this. <laughs> um, no, I I don't know. I kind of like that buttery that buttery back into it. It's, I really really like that. That is not going to survive the entire episode. I can tell you that. Mm. Yeah, that's decent. Oh wow! It just that it's buttery. I, there's no other word for it. It's butter. Yeah, yeah. I you know I wouldn't have came up with that word myself, but when you said it, I'm like, yeah. This is like buttered bread, buttered rolls, and butter bread and beer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Butter bread beer. It's like a buttered yeast roll. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, I might change my opinion. So All right, we'll let's see. go to trivia. All right, so as of last week, you missed the trivia questions. Yep. So you are 13 and 11. Yes, sir. Still over 500. For now. Your question is, which song gave arena rockers Bon Jovi their first number one Billboard hit on November 29th, 1986? Ooh, that's a good question. Let me think about that. <laughs> I know, right? So should I ask it one more time? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Which song gave arena rockers Bon Jovi their first number one Billboard hit on November 29th, 1986? And being as how they put a shitload of songs out in the 80s, that might be tra- tricky for you. So if you want to write your answers down and maybe narrow it down later. Yep, that's what I'm doing. All righty. So why don't you go ahead and get this one started? All right. So I'm going to start out with It Must Have Been Love by Roxette. A classic love ending song. It's about a couple who were in love, but that all ended. Now the lead singer Marine or Marie Fredrickson and backing vocalist Per Gassel make up this group from Sweden. Why not see if we can find the love? Or if it's over now. Yeah. It must have been. So It Must Have Been Love is a song written by Per Gessel and performed by the Swedish pop duo Roxette. The ballad became the duo's third number one hit in the United States and is one of their best-selling releases, being certified gold or platinum in a number of countries. Four different versions of the song have been officially released. Really? Yeah. The original 1987 track was followed by the most successful incarnation of the song, a slightly edited version omitting the Christmas references which was created for the soundtrack to the 1990 movie Pretty Woman. 
During the Join the Joyride World Tour in 1991, the band recorded a country music version of the track in Los Angeles, which was included on their 1992 album, Tourism. A Spanish-language version of the Pretty Woman recording was released on their 1996 compilation Baladas en Español, so ballads in Spanish. Finally, an orchestral live performance from the band's 2009 concert at Night of the Proms was included on their 2012 studio album, Traveling. It's just a song about a relationship that's ended. I mean, it, there's not a, it's, it's a classic 80s song. There's not a whole lot of body to the song. It must have been love, but it's over now. Uh, you know, it's something we had, and but we've lost it, or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact words, but what are your thoughts on this song? It's a pretty basic song about a relationship that's ended, and she's remembering how good it felt while the object of her affection was with her. Now, it's kind of unclear who ended the relationship, or if it was even a breakup, it might possibly have been if somebody passed away. Maybe the relationship of somebody that they loved was because it was a beloved uh, friend of the family or something that passed away. It could very well be, because I know, I mean, I've got friends that I love to death. You know, not romantic love, obviously, right. but I mean, so that could very well have been. To me, I always kind of heard it as a, not so much a breakup song, I guess, as more of a, they just realized that it wasn't meant to be. That could be. I got it kind of as somebody died song. Like, okay. Like, you know, it's, I had love, it's no longer there, and we had great times and just trying to remember. It's a good song. I liked Roxette. I know in high school, one guy used to sing How Do You Do All the Time, and he was like the most gangliest, dorky looking guy ever. It wasn't me. Um, but for whatever reason, because he loved to sing, he got that song and everybody loved him for it. And I'm just like, I'm not going to pimp myself out for that just because. That being said, I like Roxette, but they're kind of a greatest hits band for me. I mean, I wouldn't buy all of their stuff, maybe one or two songs on iTunes. Yeah. I mean, now, on the last episode, the love songs, we did a kind of would this make a mixtape or mm-hmm. not. On this one, let's do more of a is this a song that if kind of you're helps going you down, get, go through, go through right, a breakup? If, right. And for me, I would say yes. This is one of those that would help get me out of the rabbit hole. I think this would be a good one to start in the rabbit hole because honestly, especially if I'm just about there, I'm just climbing out the end of it and I hear this song, I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I'd sink back in. Okay. So it does make that playlist for me, but it would be kind of a beginning playlist song. Where, yeah, for you it would be the beginning of the whole thing and for it, me it would be the end. But... Right, right, exactly. Okay. All right, so what's your first one? All right, my first one is You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette. Now, Alanis Nadine Morissette is a Canadian-American singer, songwriter, and actress. She started entertaining with her piano when she was six and started dancing at seven. She got into acting in 1986, and at age 12, she starred in an ensemble skit show called You Can't Do That on television. That was in my stuff, man. Dude, I loved that show. In fact, I just watched an episode on YouTube. Yeah, I said, in mine I put, plus she was on You Can't Do That on television. So there's a little nostalgia for you. If they put that on a DVD, I would buy that and binge the fuck out of it. Yeah, yeah, I would buy it and come to your house and watch yours because I'd leave mine sealed. (laughs) Now, shortly after that, she cut her first demo and then in 91 released her first studio album, Alanis, where it peaked at number 28 on the Canadian charts. She was called by some critics Canada's Debbie Gibson or Tiffany, which... As a pop artist, I can buy that. Not hearing her current stuff, but back then... Yeah, I suppose I could see that. Now, her follow-up, Now is the Time, released in 92 and was more ballady, but more lyrically, finger quotes, thoughtful, whatever that means. It also charted in Canada at a highest of 40. Finally, she broke into the international music scene with her third album, which is where the song came off of. 
Jagged Little Pill was released in 1995 during the height of the alt music scene. That was my jam back in the day, man. Her angsty sound and solid lyrics helped the album hit number one in U.S., Canada, Netherlands, New Zealand, U.K., and Australia. Wow. It has since gone 16 times platinum in the U.S. and two times diamond in Canada. They wow. They love their hometown artists. Oh, yeah. Canada, you that's... I mean, you look at bands like Styx, who had fair amount of success in the United States, but in Canada, they are like gods. Or Rush, or Brian Adams, or Anne Murray, for example. Yep. They love their hometown people. Now, from there, it was nowhere, nowhere but the stars. She recorded five more studio albums, most recently released in 2012, all of which have charted. She's dabbled in writing. She does an advice column in the Guardian newspaper and has gone back to acting on occasion, including one of her most well-known roles when she was God in the Kevin Smith movie Dogma. Which I watched on Monday when I was homesick from work. Nice. Now, her musical career was her most successful. She released a total of eight studio albums that have spawned 32 singles and has won seven Grammy Awards through 14 nominations. 50-50 is not too bad. Not for the Grammys. Now, for You Ought to Know, before we start talking about this one, let's just listen to a clip. If this song isn't angry and angsty, I don't know what the hell is. They broke up, she's spurned, she's hurt, she's pissed, and she really lets her ex have it in this song. Who's it really about? Who's the one that broke her heart and left her all an angry shell? The biggest common rumor is Dave, Uncle Joey from Full House Coulier. Really? Yes. Um, is the guy which he has both confirmed and denied multiple times during the height <laughs> of the song. He felt some things hit close to home and referred to him during their tumultuous relationship. Yet, through the end of it all, Alanis has said, commenting to a CanWest newspaper reporter, I've never talked about who my songs are about, and I won't. I never really comment on it because I write these songs for myself, not other people. Which seems a little it, weird for an uh, international lot, superstar. It sounds a lot like the whole You're So Vain thing from Carly Simon, and it may end up going to a grave unless she decides to break the silence. Now, regardless of who it is or isn't about, the song dominated the airwaves in the 1990s and gave jilted girls and guys, apparently, a fresh, passionate, and furious song to add to their breakup repertoire and recovery playlist. As she's aged, she's kind of calmed down, per se, and her music got more mainstream, but I have to say I would love to see Alanis go back to her angry roots. I would I would definitely check out that album. Now, my question is, is this on your get-out-of-the-rabbit-hole? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah. This would be at the beginning of it when I'm pissed off, especially if it was something that either she broke up with me or it was just bad juju. Right. Oh, absolutely. This would this would definitely be... Yeah. So this is a classic alt-style song. I used to love this album back in the day. Jagged Little Pill was my jam. I've already said that, but I'll say it again. I don't care. He wants you to really, really know. That out of the way, this song is about hating a guy who left her for someone else. Saying that she wasn't going anywhere until he realized how much of an asshole he was to her. She can't get over him, though he has obviously gotten over her. In a hurry, no less. Yes, classic stalker type. I really do like the song, and Alanis Morissette, for the most part, is a good artist. Nothing too bad to say about this song. Best, you know, I guess the best way to put this is, yes, this would be on my list, and yes, it would be 
early in the in the, the anger stage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I always loved the line. You know, she would talk about how she was the only one that give a head in the You'd go down in the theater. Theater, and then it's like, you know, are you thinking of me when you're fucking your new girlfriend? And I'm mm-hmm. just like. You know, that's pretty rough if you really think about it. It is, and I'll be honest, I don't know about you, but I'm not really thinking about a whole hell of a lot of anything when that kind of stuff's going yeah, on. Yeah, no, not really. I mean, no, I mean I'm 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 in the moment. Yeah, pretty much. It's like brain goes into shut off mode and just all the energy is saved for the rest of the body. There's no blood left in your head, man. Exactly. <laughs> all right, so what do you got next? So up next I have uh Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. Now just so people out there go are are listening you're not going to get any of the um, the duplication sounds because this is one that was duplicated from our decades. Mm-hmm. So this song is one of my favorites of all time, honestly. And the video, really, really love the video. Do you get the feels? I do. Nice. I do. So Sinead O'Connor gets a lot of crap for her political stances. But we all know that on this show, we don't give two shits about people's political alliances. This is about music. Yeah, political alliances, song meetings, fuck it. I don't care about that. I just want to hear about the song. (laughs) The song is a tearjerker about a woman in mental and almost physical pain because seven hours and 15 days ago, her love left her. The sheer pain in her voice and her ability to make you feel her pain makes this a true breakup song. If you've ever been dumped by someone you really, really love, you know that pain. Let's see what compares to you. So Nothing Compares to You is a song written and composed by Prince for one of his side projects, The Family, for the first album, The Family. It was later made famous by Irish recording artist Sinead O'Connor, whose arrangement was released as the second single from her second studio album, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. This version, which O'Connor co-produced with Nellie Hooper, became the worldwide hit in 1990. Its music video received heavy rotation on MTV, Its lyrics explore feelings of longing from the point of view of an abandoned lover. Magda Davitt, born Sinead Marie Bernadette O'Connor, an Irish singer-songwriter who rose to fame in the late 1980s with her her debut album, The Lion and the Cobra. As Sinead O'Connor, she received worldwide success in 1990 with a new arrangement of Prince's song, Nothing Compares to You. Since then, while maintaining her singing career, she has occasionally encountered controversy, Partly due to her statements and gestures, such as her ordination at ordination as a priest despite being a woman with a Roman Catholic background, and her strongly expressed views on organized, religion, organized religion, women's rights, war, and child abuse. Not to mention, she tore up the Pope's picture on Saturday Night Live. I was watching that one, actually. Oh, were you? Yeah, and they cut away from it, like, fast. It was well, just one yeah, of those... Well, yeah, they didn't know it was going to happen. Lauren Michael has said several times that he had no idea that was going to happen. So now, whether or not I believe that, I don't know. Well, just like they didn't know that the wardrobe malfunction would happen with Janet Jackson. Right. Bullshit. They knew exactly what was going on. Uh, so she doesn't like organized religion, but then she got ordained? Yes. That seems a little uh, talking out of both sides of your mouth, didn't it? A little bit, yeah. So in addition to her 10 solo albums, her work includes many singles, 
songs for films, collaborations with many other artists, and appearances at charity fundraising concerts. In 2017, O'Connor said that she had changed her legal name to Magda Davitt. No why? idea why. No explanation as to why. She just, in an interview, she made that announcement. Well, I suppose if P. Diddy, Puff Daddy, whatever the fuck his name is now, can change it 13 times in a decade, she's okay with one. <laughs> I guess. Um, you know, it's one of those songs. It's definitely, you know, grabs a hold of the heartstrings and, and tears at them. So, what are your thoughts on this one? Now, it is, as I said, I'm just going to do the same thing we talked about before, and that it is a duplicate, but only because we did it on a 90s decade, which was episode 23. <laughs> so, we're good. My first thought was, oh, great. Speaking in letters instead of words. And Prince started that shit. Well, but, <laughs> but actually, I was wrong. It was the Jacksons who started that, which I just have to say, thanks a lot, fuckers. But that being said, she's got a great voice. I will give you that. She's got a really good voice. The video itself is way better than the song. The video just triumphs in all scenes. I, I mean, think the the video makes it that song that gives me such the feels. Right. The song itself, eh, I could take or leave. I mean, I don't listen to it that much. I haven't really listened to it that much. I don't so much care for it, really. I mean, if you get down to the basics of just the song, I prefer Prince's version. I don't think I've ever heard the Prince version. It's actually a little, quite a bit more upbeat. Really? Yeah. So she's all sad about the breakup, and he's just like, ding dong, it's okay, nothing compares <laughs> to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, not exactly, but... I may have to go look for that one, but no, the song's all right. Just, that's, I guess, as far as being on a breakup list, uh, it would be very early for me. I don't think I'd put it on there. And it would have to be a special type of circumstances. I suppose, yeah. You know, it wouldn't be just like, it wouldn't be just like that high school breakup, because who cares? I mean, in, in the big picture of it all, you know, you in high school, that first time you get dumped, you're like devastated. But in the big picture of it all, it's like, you guys were dating for two weeks. I, I can't really relate on that because I didn't date in high school. Okay. So I'll take your word for it. Now, that being said, uh, this is because I'm sure that in any of your classes, you probably went through like the, the stages of grieving. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So there's like the anger, the bargaining, all the other happy crap. So this would have been during the uh, um, the sadness phase. So yeah. basically, the, not the anger stage anymore, but this is just the sadness phase. So I can see that possibly putting it on there, but I probably wouldn't on my personal one. Okay, fair enough. But so, let's, let's just put this out here. I am hoping that I never have to do one of these breakup ones. Oh, yeah. At this point in my life, I agree. Exactly. I don't want this, so. You know, but anyway, what do you got next, man? Next, I've got Crying by Roy Orbison. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, and this is Crying by Roy Orbison, not by Aerosmith, because I couldn't listen to that song. <laughs> and Now, is, is the... And I don't know this because I'm not sure I know the Aerosmith song. I probably do, but it's not a cover of. It's just the same no, same no. Oh, same God, title, no. right? This, no, it's the same title. This song came out way older. No, than, no. I was asking if the Aerosmith the, no. was covered. No, the Aerosmith song is one of their originals, but it's off of I want to say the Get a Grip album, maybe. But it's they made fun of it actually with you know the song Amazing mm -hmm. or Amazing. They made fun of it on Saturday Night Live, saying that they were they run into each other like amazing and crying are basically the same song with just a couple different words. I I think it was on just push play actually. It could have been, but anyway. Know. But write in if you know, or if you know how to use the internet faster than we can. 
Cause, or which care is, to. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, Roy Kelton Orbison, named, nicknamed the Caruso of Rock, which is named after an Italian tenor, Eric Enrico Caruso, and also known as the Big O. <laughs> yeah, we never claim to be mature. Was an American singer-songwriter. If that they came, haven't figured that out by now. Exactly. <laughs> who gained... A, Thank you for the new viewer. Who gained acclaim for his solo work as well as his work with the Traveling Wilburys. He was given his first guitar when he turned six, and by seven he realized there was nothing else in life but music. By seven. Yeah. By seven, I just didn't know what flavor of ice cream I wanted. I'm not going to make a major life decision at seven. Bubblegum. No, because that shit breaks your teeth. Mint chocolate chip, yo. Mint chocolate chip is okay, but when I was seven, man, it was all about the bubblegum ice cream. Okay, all right. Didn't we have this conversation during the ice cream podcast? Maybe. I think we might have. Anyways... So, he and a few friends from high school formed a band, the Wink Westerners, because he was from Wink, Texas, who played classic country songs and Glenn Miller songs and even got a radio show in Kermit, Texas. Orbison realized he could make a living playing music after being offered 400 bucks to play at a dance. And this was in the 60s, so that was a lot of damn money for that's, that. That's decent cash, yeah. He went to North Texas State College planning to study geology to have a backup with Texas oil fields in case music didn't pay off. But when he heard that in high school, one of his classmates, Pat Boone, (laughs) the same, got a record deal, he was sold that music would be his life. So while still in college, Roy heard Dick Penner compose the song Ooby Dooby, which is one of my favorite songs of all time, for the record. He ran with it back to the Wink Westerners. He saw Elvis and Johnny Cash perform in Odessa, Texas. And it was Johnny Cash who suggested that he talk to Sam Phillips at Sun Records because they had other rockabilly artists like Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis. Roy Orbison called, during, and during a conversation, Sam said that Johnny Cash doesn't run my record company. Wow. Yeah. So, undeterred, Orbison continued on and changed the band name to the Teen Kings to get with a younger audience. They recorded Ooby Dooby for a local radio label, and it went so well that Phillips changed his mind and offered them a contract. So Johnny Cash does run his record label. Yeah, apparently. He stuck with Sun, but also worked as a songwriter. As a songwriter, He continued recording and hit it big in the 60s with his singles popping up in the top 10 list. He ran into some troubles in the mid-60s, though. He got a short-term divorce from Claudette. He broke his foot at a concert. Claudette died in a motorcycle accident. And his home burned down, killing his two older kids. Holy shit. Yeah. Why he didn't move to country, I have no idea. So, coupled with medical issues, he was in rough shape, but due to Don McLean covering Crying and Van Halen covering Pretty Woman, his career got a resurgence. He worked with ELO's Jeff Lynn, and over lunch and a quick visit from Petty to Bob Dylan's place, Orbison ended up as part of the Traveling Wilburys with Jeff Lynn, Bob Dylan, George Harrison, and Tom Petty. He continued a rigorous touring schedule until passing away on December 6, 1988, at the age of 52. Through his career, he released 23 studio albums that spawned 92 singles and won five Grammy Awards. Crying is about heartbreak, and before we get too brokenhearted on this one, let's just cry a little. You couldn't tell that I've been crying over you, crying over you. The only thing that might make me cry was that intro. Yeah, well, it happens. So. <laughs> so the singer's crying over a love lost. Now, it's said that the song was inspired and written about a life experience. He ran into an old flame that he was still enamored with, but because he just couldn't pull the trigger and tell her how he truly felt, she moved on. 
by the time he was able to say something, it was well too late. You know, he kind of snoozy loose type thing. Orbison wanted to show that crying wasn't a weakness, but rather a sensitivity in a time when a lot of the music out there was kind of sticking your, you know, sticking your chest out and, you know, I got big balls type thing. But Orbison kind of is like, no, you can be a sensitive guy. And chicks dig that shit. They eat that stuff up. Unless you're too much of a puss, but then, you know. Yeah, there's there's a fine line there, too. Exactly. So, Roy's voice and register make this song work, and even though it's a sad song, it's one that doesn't make you feel bad, but makes you feel more reflective about, like, past significant others as opposed to being sad. I enjoy this song. As far as would it be on a playlist, I probably would because I'm a huge Orbison mark, per se. Um, not sure if it belongs on an everybody's list, but for me it would be. Okay, fair enough. The voice of Roy is amazing. The range he had, the song of this this is a song about a guy who can't get over a girl, and though he wears a strong face in public, in reality he spends his time crying over the girl. It's a very sixty sound to the music and it's classic Orbison. I, I love just about anything he's done. And honestly, this is no exception. Would it make my list Probably not because it's not it's not dark enough. I can understand that, and it would only and as I mentioned, the only reason it would be for mine is because I'm a big fan. Right, right. So that's what I got for that one. So what you got next? All right. So up next, I have another duplicate from the decades, uh, "End of the Road" by Boys to Men. This classic boy band offering to the idea of the breakup. A man who can't figure out how the girl that belongs to him is gone. Well, first of all, it's probably because he fucking thinks she belongs to him. But hey, you know, I find it funny that it's like everyone is always blindsided by the fact that the love of their life is just gone. Just not there anymore. I would wager that most people see the end coming. Either way, let's find out where the end of the road is. about 100 yards that way and if you take a left fair enough end of the road is a single recorded by american r&b group boys to men for the boomerang soundtrack it was released in 1992 and written and produced by kenneth babyface edmonds la reed and daryl simmons boys to men is an american r&b vocal group from philadelphia pennsylvania best known for emotional ballads and acapella harmonies they are currently a trio composed of baritone Nathan Morris alongside tenors Wayne Morris and Sean Stockman. During the 1990s, Boys to Men found fame on Motown Records as a quartet including bass Michael McCary, who left the group in 2003 due to health issues. During the 1990s, Boys to Men gained international success. This began with the release of top of top 5 singles Motown Philly and it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. In 1991, followed by the number one single, End of the Road, in 1992, which reached the top of the charts worldwide. Again, it's it's one of those songs that it's sung like it's a ballad, but it's really the end of a relationship. And it's, it's actually a very good written song. The guys sing it very well. Would it make my end of a relationship mix of songs no 
I would agree with you on that one. They've got good voices, and back in the 90s, they were panty droppers. Oh, absolutely. They absolutely were. Um, <laughs> I suppose now, what are they, like, men to ARP or something? <laughs> no, they're still boys to men. They were just on an episode of Drop the Mic not too long ago. Okay. And I think they went up against, oh, it was another boy band. I can't remember, Sync or okay. something like that, but... Now, it, as we mentioned before, this is another one of those duplicates from 23, but just because it was a decade one. Yeah, and the, the, the decade ones we didn't choose, so we're not really considering them duplicates. Right, and it's it's not my style. It's really not your style either. No, no. Now, the boys, with a Z, of course, because that's what they have to do. Well, it was the 90s. Everything ended in Z. Right. Just like me, when I started listening to stuff... <laughs> Anyways. I was going to say, just like you, like your favorite tag team of all time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Dudley Boys with a Z. <laughs> the Hardy Boys did the same thing. They did. Now, the boys sing about a tough breakup and being the end of the road for them. Now, as you mentioned, it was co-written by Babyface and Daryl Simmons, and they were apparently going through divorces at the time. Oh, okay. And they were lamenting on how you know how their relationships ended and things like that, and that's how the song got written. It works. At the end of a marriage... Um, the end of a relationship is one thing. The end of a marriage is something entirely different. Yes. Um, it can be the end of the road, and honestly, it can feel like you're, fa- you're a failure. And been there before. But at the same time, too, it's a new path to flourish on and a new door to open. And usually, if you're doing it right, second time you get it done, and you're done. I mean, obviously, if it, ultimately, if you get it done the first time, that's great. But just like dating, I mean, that's it's like trying before you buy it. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that uh, way of looking at it. So, and as I mentioned, it would not make my list. It, yeah. It absolutely wouldn't. And this would be, for me, it would be because it's not as it's not dark enough. Okay. So I will use yours on that one because it just... <laughs> it makes it, sense. It, it makes sense. All right, what do you got next? All right, so we're going to go with Look Away by Chicago. Chicago. Hey, Chicago and the Bears, huh? Yeah, with some sausage... Uh, Chicago is an American rock band that formed in 1967 as the Chicago Transit Authority, which was shortened to just straight up Chicago in 1970 due to legal threats. All right. And where are they from? Kansas City. Duh. Oh, okay. Good. (laughs) No, they are actually from Chicago. Um, The original members were Walter Paradzader, Terry Kath, Danny Seferin, James Panko, Lee uh, Lugane, and Robert Lamb. Many of the members met in college at DePaul and started as The Big Thing as playing covers. Not too pretentious, is it? The Big Thing? Yeah. When they realized something was missing vocally, they brought in Peter Cetera, and that's when the band took off. They released their first album, Chicago Transit Authority, in 1969 as a double album, which is a rarity because most bands don't do that for like three or four, but they, they did this as their debut. That's That's ballsy. It is. And it was nominated for a Grammy the, later that year for Best New Artist. In the 70s, they kept their sound as self-described rock with horns, which I can buy that because if you listen to like 25 or 624, yeah. it, it follows that. Then in the 80s, things changed. They went with more of a power ballad song and a more radio-friendly type. And they wanted to move away from the brass because it would sell more, and it, you know, even though that's what made them famous. The change did help them sell, sell more records predictably, and in 1984 they had their biggest seller in Chicago 17, going more than six times platinum, but it all wasn't sunshine. Peter Cetera, who was doing solo projects, wanted to have the band go on hiatus while he toured, and because they told him to shove it, he said, fine, I'm leaving. All right. Going forward, there were many more... It's another ma- breakup story. Yeah. 
Going forward, there were more member and style changes, and as of 2018, they're still considered active and touring, mostly with other classic bands of the era, such as the Doobie Brothers. In their career, Chicago has released 36 studio albums that have spawned 60, 64 singles and have won five Grammys. An interesting note is that up through their 20th album, nearly all of them were numeral, numbered sequentially, like Chicago 5, Chicago 6, Chicago 7. Okay. And, I mean, it makes it easy for going to buy the record. Right. I need Chicago 15. Got it. Now, the song Look Away is a power ballad that was written by Diane Warren, who had penned dozens of tunes for the artists along the way, such as Aerosmith's I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, Alice Cooper's Bed of Nails, and Lady, Lady Gaga's Till It Happens to You. Okay. So she's a little prolific. Yeah. It's the band's only number one single since Peter Cetera left in 1985, and is the second single from 1988's Chicago 19. Just look away, man. Look away. didn't look away yeah i did i'm looking over there oh okay like many breakups the singer and his gal stated they'd remain friends after the breakup which is next to impossible especially if there are any residual feelings now the song is about the guy who runs into an ex that he still has feelings for she tells him he's found somebody new which wrecks him because he was hoping for a rekindling of what he thought was still there and on the inside of course Due to his heartbreak, he tells the girl to look away so she won't see him breaking up about them being done and him being out of the picture for good. It's a pretty straightforward and not happy song at all. It is definitely a breakup song. It moves along at a good pace because this being a power ballad, if it were any slower, it would be too sad and almost unlistenable even as a Chicago fan. Good song. Um, I originally thought it was one of them that they put on... um, Family Ties, but I was wrong. I was thinking of At This Moment by Billy Vera, but that's a different story. And it's a good song. It's not really as sad as it could be. I wouldn't really put it on a breakup list because I don't know many exes that I've remained friends with. Fair enough. So it's a song of remorse. He gets a phone call, probably because it came out before text messages. (laughs) He says he can handle it, but if you see him on the street, look away. Because he's a whiny little bitch. I mean, they realized they needed to be friends and not lovers. So what's the fucking issue? Just grow up here and move on. You know, but if you're still harboring the feelings for something, I mean, I can understand that. But at the same time, too, I mean, you in theory, if you stay friends, you, you tell your friends pretty much everything. I mean, I've got good friends. I mean, you and I talk about things that just some average asshole in the street we're not going to talk about. True. You know, granted, we've never dated and that is never going to happen. <laughs> Good. So, but, I mean, if you were friends with, let's say you were friends with one of your ex-girlfriends and you said, hey, I'm getting married soon. If you had no feelings left and you knew it was over, easy peasy, no problem. But if for whatever reason you still had a little bit of a flame in there, that would probably tear you up. And that's probably, <sighs> that's probably what it is. And this yeah, guy just can't, I can see that. this guy can't cut the cord. He's like, he's just... He's like Fez, or not Fez, um, Raj. Yeah. He's from Big Bang Theory. He's like Raj. Uh, yeah. He's just like he just wants to still have something go on, but it's like you're broken up. Right. It's done. Fair enough. I would not put this on on a playlist uh, when I was going through something. Just not not gonna happen. Okay. So next would be for you. All right. So we're gonna go with a little "Back to Black" by Amy Winehouse. Now, this is the first Amy Winehouse song that I think I ever listened to. 
Shut or up. at least that I realized was her. Really? Yeah. They played rehab on their fucking radio all over the time. You I didn't... don't listen to the radio. But you got it. Yeah, okay. I would have guessed you would have heard some other stuff. But... I may have, but I, I didn't. Uh... But she has a sultry voice, and I really kind of liked what I heard. She definitely has issues with her ex, talking about him going back to his ex, and she goes back to black. Saying that he was in it just to keep his dick wet. Her words, not mine. Let's go back to black. We are So, a member of the 27 Club, along with the likes of Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, and Kurt Cobain, Back to Black is a song by English singer and songwriter Amy Winehouse. It was, rele- it was released by Island Records on 30 April 20, 2007, as the third single from Winehouse's second and final studio album of the same name. The song was written by Winehouse and Mark Ronson, and produced by Ronson. Back to Black was inspired by Winehouse's relationship with Blake Fielder Civil who had left her for an ex-girlfriend. Back to Black received universal acclaim by music critics, who generally play, praised its throwback sound to girl groups of the 1960s. It was included on several compiled year and decade end lists of the best mu- in music and was further considered to be one of the singer's signature songs. The single peaked at number 8 on the UK singles chart in the United Kingdom and is Winehouse's third best-selling single in that country. Many cover versions by various artists were recorded for the song. Most notably, Beyonce and Andre 3000 covered it for the soundtrack of the 2013 film adaptation of the novel The Great Gatsby. A documentary film based on the life and death of Winehouse, Amy, 2015, features a videoed tape of Yeah, that's what it says. Featured features a videotaped of Winehouse recording the song with Mark Ronson in March 2006 and an a cappella melody was featured on the film's soundtrack. I really enjoyed this song. It is definitely dark, and it is definitely a breakup song. But what are your thoughts on it? Is it uh, off the top of your head? You may or may not know. Is that the same Mark Ronson that teamed up with um, with Bruno Mars? The "Don't Believe Me, Just Wait" watch song. I don't know. I would assume so. He's obviously he's a he's a producer. So oh, then it's probably the same guy. Yeah. Now the song's based on the relationship, the breakup with her guy. You know, you mentioned the name. Um, I don't like hyphenated names, so where his name. So is, I'm not reading it, goddammit! So his name is Blake Civil, and they broke up, and he went back to what was comfortable, an ex-girlfriend, and she went back to hard drinking and dark times, which was the black. It's a very classic sounding track. I've personally never really cared for her body of work. Um, if I and her voice, it's okay, but it's just not something that I dig. Um, but I like those women with that heavy, sultry, like the smoky type yeah, voices. Yeah, you know. And the problem I think is too is whenever I do that, I picture what she looks like, and that just is like that's like an ear boner killer for me. <laughs> just fair saying. enough. She was she was not. I would agree with you. She would not be high on my list of beautiful women. No. Now. It's a decent breakup song. It tells how some things turn out because every breakup is different. Um, but oftentimes, you know, one rebound goes to an ex and the other one just has a really hard time and kind of suffers along with it. Would it go on my playlist? If I'm trying to do something that's more modern-ish, maybe, but probably not. Yeah, I don't know. This might make the list. 
Uh, for me. You, you might... just made the list! <laughs> Alright, man, what do you got next? Alright. So I've got, since you, of course not spelled out, god damn it, Been Gone by Kelly Clarkson. Now, Kelly Brianne Clarkson is an American singer, songwriter, and actress who is most well-known as being the winner of the very first American Idol way back in 2002. She started off singing back in school where she was in choir and did a few musicals. After graduating high school, she worked multiple jobs to help pay for her demo. So she worked for it. Good for her. She got turned down twice and visited L.A. personally knowing something was bigger and better that would come along and took bit parts on TV shows as an extra to help pay for her expenses. Nothing came along, and the fact that she was turned down many more times, so she moved back to Texas. Her friends thought that she had something that just needed to be shown, so she was encouraged to audition for American Idol, The Search for a Superstar, which she did and won the whole damn thing. A record deal afterwards started her career moving forwards. Her debut album, Thankful, not named after her. Yay! Yay! Came out in 2003, where it peaked at number one on the U.S. charts and has gone double platinum. Clarkson wanted to get away from her American Idol image, change management before releasing her second studio album, Breakaway, in 2004. This one didn't hit number one, it peaked at number three, but it did sell the most of any of her albums, going six times platinum. That's not a bad run. Not at all. She's continued to record and release albums as well as delve into writing children's books and voicing animated characters and is still considered active. Through her career, Kelly Clarkson has released eight studio albums, which have spawned 39 singles, Six of the albums have gone gold or better by the RIAA. Since you've been gone, one of her most well-known ones, let's just take a quick listen to refresh your memory of the song, and we'll talk about it. Now, the song is... God damn it, another one that has a word not spelled out. As I mentioned before, this drives me nuts. It's sung from the girl's perspective. It comes off the album Breakaway that I mentioned before. And it's how she was friends with a guy who seemingly duped her into falling for him. And so while he smothered her, he didn't really return the affection. Finally, after they've broken up, she feels that she's free and able to breathe for the first time. It's a breakup power ballad in the pop sense, and I think it really works. I didn't follow American Idol, and even though it was played on the top 40 radio station, I really didn't hear it because I didn't listen to that station, but I did listen to the We Play Anything type stations, and because of which they played that occasionally, and that's where I heard it. Because it wasn't a top 40 station, it didn't get played to death, and I can still actually enjoy the song. Clarkson just has a great, powerful voice that belts out this breakup empowering anthem. That's all I gotta say about it. I enjoy it. Would it make it on this list? Um... In the recovery phase, I think possibly. Okay. Be- because it's, that's one of those where on the backward slide up, it's like, you know what? I'm better off without you. You know, you, we're good. So this takes a different run at the breakup song. She's relieved that her ex is gone. This is more of a I dodged that bullet song than a breakup song, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm not really a fan of this particular song, though, honestly. Or Kelly Clarkson, to be completely honest. Uh, this song is meh at best for me. I... It's definitely a breakup song, but I don't have a whole lot to say about it. All right, so let's move on then. All right, so up next I have Maggie May by Rod Stewart. The ugliest man on the list. <laughs> Easily. That's because we're not talking about um, the dude that was married to Lyle Lovett. Oh, yeah, okay, fair enough. Because he would have won the prize. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So Rod Stewart can sing, though. 
Wake up, Maggie. I think there's something I need to say to you. Well, that about says it all, doesn't it? I mean, it's... Dude, you're waking her up to break up with her? What the hell? What an <laughs> asshole. It's kind of funny. He starts by saying he should be back in school and that she stole his heart and that was the worst of all. Then he starts bad-mouthing her, saying how old she looks in the sunlight. Kind of has a feel of the movie The Graduate. So, let's check out Maggie. Laugh at all of your jokes My love you didn't need to coax Oh, Maggie, I couldn't have tried anymore You led me away from home Just to save you from being alone You stole my soul and that's a pain I can do Maggie May is a song co-written with Martin Quintanton and performed by singer Rod Stewart from his album Every Picture Tells a Story, released in 1971. In 2004, Rolling Stone ranked the song number 131 on their list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Maggie May expresses the ambivalence and contradictory emotions of a boy involved in a relationship with an older woman. Ooh, big word. It wasn't mine. I stole it. <laughs> and it was written from Stewart's own experience. In January 2007 issue of Q Magazine, Stewart recalled, Maggie May was more or less a true story about the first woman I had sex with at the 1961 Bialaloo Jazz Festival. The woman's name was not Maggie May. Stewart has stated that the name was taken from an old Liverpudlian song about a prostitute. Sir Roderick David Stewart is a British rock singer and songwriter. Born and raised in London, he is of Scottish and English ancestry. Stewart is one of the best-selling musical artists of all time, having sold over 100 million records worldwide. He has had six consecutive number one albums in the UK, and his tally of 62 UK hit singles includes 31 that reached the top 10, six of which gained the number one position. Stewart has had 16 top 10 singles in the US, with four reaching number one on the Billboard Hot 100. He was knighted in the 2016 Birthday Honors for Service to Music and Charity. So what do you think? You pretty much said everything uh, fact-wise, the whole more or less true story about who he lost his V-card to. Yeah. Um, I personally thought you'd appreciate that the title character was a play on a Beatles song, because they did the song Maggie May, M-A-E, which was the uh, Liverpool, whatever whatever you call it. But um, And because... <laughs> Maggie is British British slang for prostitutes. Right. That's right. kind of funny. As far as being a breakup song, I don't know if it's really a breakup song per se. Um, he's just kind of talking about he lost his V-card, and it's like, oh, well, hey, you know, time to leave. I should really go to school. i got better shit to do. Bye. <laughs> you can leave now. So would it make my breakup or hate list? It would not. But I love this song. I'm a big fan of Rod Stewart's stuff. This is one of my favorite songs of his, but it wouldn't make the list in this case. I would have to agree with that. I hadn't said that, but yeah, I would have to agree. It would not make it. Um, I do think it's a breakup song, though. She's breaking up with it. She, she's breaking up with her John. <laughs> well, he just used the name Maggie based on a Liverpudlian song, but it was actually about the first woman he had sex with. So I, I, he's, he didn't say she was a prostitute. Okay, I suppose. If you go on that route, yes. I mean, but then again... Isn't all dating prostitution, if you think about it? I'm not going there. I'm not having that conversation. Can't be you're done dating, though. Yeah, but I have two daughters that are going to be dating soon. <laughs> if not already. At least not to my knowledge. Oh, that's the worst kind. Just shut up and what's your next song? 
My next song is You've Lost That Love and Feeling by The Righteous Brothers. The Righteous Brothers formed in 1962, made up of Bill Medley and Bobby Hatfield. They were in separate groups at the time that they met. Hatfield was in the Variations, Bill Medley was in the Paramours. They saw each other's groups perform, and after a few comings and goings, Medley and Hatfield performed the new Paramours, which dive-bombed. And, no, get that shit away from me. Try to offer me a can of that terrible beer that we had last time. Not last time, several several episodes ago. Oh. And as you can see, I still have two cans of it. God, you didn't dump that shit out? No, I have to make some brats. Oh, my God, you better, uh nasty. No, you sure you don't want a little hell? I'm positive. Okay. I, I would rather... No. I'm not You'd even rather go, go to hell? I'm not even going to say what I'd rather do because this is a radio-friendly thing. Well, we've been doing it wrong. <laughs> Anyways, so the the Paramours, the new Paramours dive-bombed and disbanded, leaving the two to perform as a duo. The Righteous Brothers' name came from Marines who would come to their shows from the nearby El Toro base. I didn't know El Toro was a real base. I thought they just fucking made it up for Independence Day. Remember how Will Smith's character was from El Toro? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, I'm sorry, kid. El Toro's been destroyed. Like, that's a real base? Holy crap. Anyways. I, I didn't know that either, but... So, the Marines called the two Righteous Brothers because they were black Marines. Right. And in different ways, such as, that was Righteous Brothers, and hey, Righteous Brothers, how you doing? They liked it, so they kept it. Kind of cool. Kind of cool, actually. They released a couple of albums on Moonglow Records before Phil Spector took a liking to them and pulled them to his label, Philly Records, in 1964. They released and recorded a few albums, but there was some stormy weather in the background and left for Verve Records in 1966. Their first Verve album, 1966, Soul and Inspiration, was the only of their duo, only of the duo's albums to get a gold record. They split in 1968, so Medley could go solo while Hatfield teamed up with Jimmy Walker for the from the Knickerbockers to perform as the Righteous Brothers on MGM. They disbanded, and the original duo got together for two years, but then took a hiatus in, until 1981 when they reformed and started touring and recording together again. Hatfield died in 2003, which put an end to the band until Medley revived it with Bucky Head or Heard in 2016 when they recorded their most recent studio album 2016's the righteous brothers so kind of like metallica they didn't do their self-named one until like what 30 years later yeah something like that they're still recording and touring and since inception 1962 the righteous brothers and all incarnations have released 15 studio albums all but 2016's release has been put out on vinyl only wow You've Lost That Love and Feeling is a 1964 single written by spouse songwriting team Barry Mann and Cynthia Wells, who also gave us such songs as Somewhere Out There from American Tale and Dolly Parton's Here, Come, Here You Come Again. That weird bastard Phil Spector has songwriting credits, even though it really didn't do anything other than inspiration, which was most famously performed by the Righteous Brothers. Let's go ahead and see if you too have lost that love and feeling. And if it's gone. Gone. Goose, I think she's lost it. No, no, man, no. Anywho, now... The song is about a guy who's noticing that his lady has grown cold towards him and doesn't have the same affection that she once had. Not sure if it's really a breakup song as much as it's a song about breakup that's about to happen. Like, it's on its way. It's been around for a really long time, 
and because it's been covered, and because of which it's been covered by a ton of artists, ranging from Elvis Presley to Isaac Hayes. Can you dig it? Yeah, I can dig it. To Diane Warwick to Erasure, who put it on their album of covers called Other People's Songs. I love that. That is the best album title ever. That is great. Now, I've heard it on the classic rock and oldie stations, but I remember it mainly from being exposed to where I was, which we just hinted at, and that was when Tom Cruise and Anthony Edwards sang it to Kelly McGillis in 1986's Top Gun. Okay. Not sure how singing a breakup song works towards wooing a woman, but hey, whatever, and it was the 80s and Tom Cruise could do no wrong. It's a good, saddish song when you want something that has emotion but not vile emotion like some of the other songs that we have on our list. I enjoy this one. For a breakup song, I would, I actually probably would put this on here because it's got a really good voice. Bill Medley, if uh, he's done a lot of other solo stuff too. In fact, one of his other biggest claims was he was half of the duo that did the Time of Your Life song from Dirty Dancing. Okay. So it was, it was him and Jennifer Warrens who did that. So he's got his name all over the charts here. I didn't know he was part of the Righteous Brothers. I just knew him as the guy from the Dirty Dancing song. So that was new for me. Cool. So what do you got? Uh, this on song, this one? I said this song really isn't a breakup song. This is more of a song of someone seeing the end coming. They aren't quite to the breakup part, but the relationship doesn't have much of a pulse anymore. The Righteous Brothers did a lot of good crooner music, as I like to call it. I like their body of work, and I think everyone should listen to a bunch of it. This song, I think, would definitely be on. Uh, a list of songs during a breakup, somewhere in the middle, I think. It's not really an end of the of this era, and it's not really a. It's not when you're still in the pissed off phase. Right, you're not mad, but it's also not therapeutic. It's kind right. of just it's, it's sad songs, kind of like the the Elton song. The Elton sad Johnson. songs say so much. Exactly. Yeah. So I I have to agree with you. I think it would be in that list scene, but I don't think it would be. I think it would be somewhere right in the middle. Okay. All right. So, so what do you got for your number 11? Number 11, I have Need You Now by Lady Antebellum. You know what? I know what your last one's going to be, and I'm not surprised that you saved that for the last. Well, for this song, it had to be. Oh, I suppose. It's a quarter after one, and I'm all alone, and I need you now. I never, you felt, never knew you felt that way. <laughs> oh, sorry. I wasn't talking to you. God damn it. So lead singer Hillary but Scott... To, but to be fair, he's never drunk-dialed me or drunk-texted, which I'm a little pissed off about because I'm sure he's probably drunk-texted Scott. I've drunk-texted you. Really? Yeah. Well, then you just seemed really sober. Either that or your English was better, so I just assumed you was better. Whatever. <laughs> so lead singer Hillary Scott has an amazing voice. Basically, it's a song, as I see it, of a girl who was recently separated from her love and everything reminds her of him. Then the voice of Charles Kelly comes in, and the way they harmonize is absolutely beautiful. It's a song of regret and remorse. They are separated from each other, but they both want to be together. Maybe if people just talked it out, life would be better for everyone involved. Let's find out if we are needed now. Said I wouldn't call, but I lost all control and I need you. The lyrics describe placing a call to someone in the middle of the night due to being lonely and longing for companionship, <clears throat> i.e. the drunk dial. Or booty call. Eh, I suppose that could be. Hillary Scott commented on the song saying that all three of us know what it's like to get to the point where you feel lonely enough that you make a late night phone call that you very well could regret, regret the next day. 
Charles Kelly told The Boot that the band's record executives initially had concern regarding using the lyrics, I'm a little drunk, but convinced the executives to leave the content in the song. Lady Antebellum is an American country music group formed in Nashville, Tennessee in 2006. The group is composed of Hilary Scott, leading backing vocals, Charles Kelly, also in lead backing vocals and guitar, and Dave Haywood, backing vocals, guitar, piano, mandolin, and pretty much anything else that they need played. Scott is the daughter of country music singer Linda Davis, and Kelly is the brother of pop star, pop singer Josh Kelly. The group made its debut in 2007 as guest vocalist on Jim Brickman's single Never Alone before signing to Capitol Nashville. Lady Antebellum has released six albums for Capitol. Lady Antebellum, Need You Now, Own the Night, Golden, 747, and Heartbreak. Plus one Christmas album on this winter's night. The obligatory Christmas album. They, Especially with country music artists, it's like... It's got to be in their contract or it, something. It must be. I know we've talked about that before, but it's like you could look up almost any country person. In fact, I can't even name one off the top of my head that has not done something, at least a little country. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, but anyway. Or a little Christmas, I mean. Yeah. Their first three albums are certified platinum or higher by the Recording Industry Association of America. The albums have produced 16 singles on the Hot Country Songs and Country Airplay charts, of which nine have reached number one. Nine of 16. That's not too shabby. No. Their longest lasting number one single is Need You Now, which spent five weeks at that position in 2009. Both the song and 2011's Just a Kiss reached number one on the adult contemporary charts as well. So kind of a crossover. Yeah. So, I don't know, this song kind of, it, it, it's not hard to figure out. It's a booty call. It's a, it's a drunk call. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and, but they do it in such a way, the, the way they harmonize the way they sing, the two voices meshing together. Well, and then Lady Antebellum's known for that, but right, it's just an absolutely beautiful song. This would be that end of the end of the breakup, you know, the the before you get angry. Right. Yeah. So what what about you? You know, and I mentioned that I'm not sure if this is really a breakup song as much as it's a song about loneliness and regret. I know we both said the word regret because it's kind of what it is. The singer's lonely and makes a call in the Wee Smalls, and in one version, it's a drunk dial, which I'm a little drunk, I need you now, and they call to get a companionship. Now, you could almost consider this a booty call, and she wanted, finger quotes, companionship, Mm -hmm. but I don't get that from this song because the band seems kind of squeaky clean. So I don't see it as a booty call, even though the words are pretty much all there. I don't see this as a breakup song. I really don't. Okay. I can see putting it on that list. You're, you're exactly right. Like right after, like the fresh after, maybe the next day after it happened, before you had a chance to get mad and overanalyze everything, because that's pretty much where I would be, mm-hmm. is thinking and overthinking and over overthinking. It wouldn't make my list, although it is a decent song. They've okay. got great harmonies. Love her voice. She's not hard on the eyes either. No. True. And that's what I got. All right. What do you got next? All right. So I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to use some explicit language here for the song title. Because the song title is literally called Fuck You. Hey, 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 this is a fam... Oh, never mind. <laughs> so, Thomas DeCarlo Calloway, also known as CeeLo Green, not even close. No. I mean, it's got a C in it, <laughs> is an American singer-songwriter that produces and on occasion acts. He was into music from an early age, both parents being ministers, and his first exposure to big time was when he got together with Big Gip, Timo, and Cujo, spelled K-H-U-J-O, in the formation of the Goody Mob. 
the Goody Mob. Yeah. The help the group helped pioneer the southern rap scene and helped CeeLo, the youngest of the group, get his footing. He split with the Goody Mob in 1999 to go solo. The solo career lasted two albums before being dropped and going solo, as well as hooking up with producer Danger Mouse to form Gnarls Barkley, which was a play on Charles Barkley, the, what was it, Philadelphia, the Suns? Yeah, yeah. Phoenix Suns. Phoenix Suns. No, no. (laughs) He's just a cartoon. Now, after two successful albums, Gnarls Barkley took a break in 2009, and a new album is in the works sometime in the future, per CeeLo Green. Sometime in the future! Exactly. Meanwhile, he's continued to record and release solo material as well as tour, his most recent being 2015's Heart Blanche. When not recording, he's also frequented the microphone as judge on talent shows, as well as doing voice acting for animated shows such as American Dad and Hotel Transylvania. I know you like that Hotel Transylvania movie. Yeah. What does it, did you get what part he played? Oh, I totally did not write that down. I, I remembered you liked it, but I forgot to check. We'll have to check IMDb later. Yeah, yeah. Now, as a solo artist, he's released five studio albums that have spawned 39 singles. 39 yeah. singles off of five albums. That's insane. He's won five Grammys and between his solo and Gnarls Barkley time. Now, Fuck You, or the radio edit Forget You, is the first single off of 2012's The Lady Killer and was co-written by Bruno Mars, The Smeezingtons, Brody Brown, and CeeLo Green. You know what? Let's just forget you. Listen. Now, the guy's singing to his, a song to his ex-girlfriend that he still has a bit of a soft spot for. She's out with a new guy, and he recalls how she was only in it for what he can buy her, also known as a gold digger. And that's why she's with someone else, because he can give her more. So he gives her the old one-finger salute, and to the new guy, gets the same salute with the other hand. So now, after doing some reading, Green stated the song was written not towards a woman, but as a stick it towards the record label and the music industry at the time. As you know, I don't really give too much of a deep shit about the intent or meanings of songs, so when it comes to this one, I'm entertained by it, and it's about a girl. Now, this song is a great big yep for me. It's almost an R&B-style song that's fun, and he gets to vent. And that's just that's just the bottom line of it. I'm a poor bastard, so I don't know anything about being with a gold digger, and I will probably will never, obviously. So I think it would suck to be wanted for what you can give versus what you actually can emotionally give. But I would never know that. So, as entertaining as the song is to listen to, it's even more so to watch the video for. It's a great breakup song. It's a great... This is one of those angry songs, but an angry healing song. I would definitely put this on the list. Okay. Now, to answer the question, CeeLo Green played the voice of Murray on... The Mummy. The Mummy. That is awesome. He's one of my favorite characters, too, and I didn't even know... So now you're going to be watching this again going, Oh! Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So this is a song. This song is a good one. And he he was the voice of a hot tub on American Dad. Actually, the really? hot tub that actually took control of the family, kind of like kind of like uh, Seymour did with uh, Audrey too in uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Okay. But it was a, a hot tub that did it instead of a plant. Nice. It's absolutely worth watching, and he's hilarious in it. Anyways, go on. So I really like CeeLo's, vo- CeeLo's voice, and I like the way he goes about outing some gold digging bitch. I'm a big fan of anyone who's willing to tell it like it is. Now, 
His version of events or reasons may be different than hers, but the dude isn't pulling any punches. Now, CeeLo did something I really like with the song, and that was he released three different versions. The unedited that we listened to, an edited version of F You, and a family-friendly version called Forget You. He hit every taste in music. Smart dude. Oh, absolutely. And the song is just fun. And like I said, if you haven't seen the video for it, it's actually pretty damn funny. This would definitely go in that anger area and every other area just because it's a great song. Oh, exactly. And it's it's a good recovery song, too, because like I said, it's the angry one. But at the same time, it's a fun song. And it's kind of like kind of like Toby Keith's How Do You Like Me Now? Yeah. Where it's like, I'm better off without you because you suck. So, <laughs> all right. So what's your last one? Alright, so my last one is Back Off Bitch by Guns N' Roses. <gasps> a gun song? It's been a while. I know. This is not a breakup song. This is a straight up metal hate song. This was a breakup that did not go well. Axel and the boys let her know exactly what they think of her. The following lyrics tell us exactly what was going through the head of Axel when he wrote this. Making love, cheap heartbreaker, broken backed, nasty ball breaker. Stay out of my bed. Out of my head. If it's loving you, I'm better off dead. That's pretty That's pretty blatant. Yeah, that's definitely a hate song. So, let's listen to the bitch. So Back Off Bitch was written before the band's 1987 debut album, Appetite for Destruction. The song was also played during Guns N' Roses concerts before the release of Appetite for Destruction. Back Off Bitch was written partially about Rose's girlfriend, Gina Seiler, who moved with him to Los Angeles in 1982 and eventually kicked him out in 1983 due to his anger issues. It was also demoed several times by the band during this period. The band's membership has changed many times since the early 1990s, with Rose and Reed as the only two constant members since 1990. The current lineup consists of Rose, Slash, McKagan, Reed, guitarist Richard Fortas, and drummer Frank Furrier, and keyboardist Melissa Reese. So Use Your Illusion 1 is the third studio album by American rock band Guns N' Roses, which is where the song comes from. It was released on September 17, 1991, the same day as its counterpart album, Use Your Illusion 2. Both albums were released in conjunction with the Use Your Illusion Tour. The album debuted at number two on the Billboard charts, selling 685,000 copies in its first week, behind Use Your Illusion's two first week sales of 770,000 copies. Use Your Illusion 1 has sold 5,502,000 units in the U.S. as of 2010, according to the Nielsen SoundScan. Each of the Use Your Illusion albums have been certified seven times platinum by the RIAA, and it was nominated for a Grammy Award in 1992. It, Like I said, this is straight up heavy metal hate. There is This is not breakup. The breakup's already happened. This is the anger stage mm-hmm. of the recovery. Okay, I need you to rewind your, your, um, your information, your stats for a second. You said Illusion 1 and Illusion 2. Which one sold more? Uh, Illusion 2 did. Okay. This was on Illusion 1. I know. Okay. I was just making sure. Yep. 
I tend to think that Illusion 2 is a better album. I was going to, that's what I was going to say. I think Illusion 2 was a stronger one. I think the only reason Illusion 1 really sold as much as it did was because of Live and Let Die. Quite possibly, yeah. Because that, that cover in itself is where everybody really wanted it to, because I think November Rain was on one also. One, yep. So those two, I think, might have sold it, but two, I think, had a stronger um, a stronger lineup of songs. It did. It, it was a much, I wouldn't say much, but it was a better album than one. Okay. I mean, they, they, hey, we agreed on something. <laughs> but uh, what are your thoughts on this? Now, I'm not a huge fan of this effort, but as I mentioned before, I'm not really a huge fan of Illusion 1. And that's kind of where I was a little bit going on this one. I appreciate that you would agree, you agreed with me on this one. Slash and the gang are on point. The music is Im- as impeccable as you'd expect. Axel seems more mumbly than usual on this song. I mean, he just seems that he can't get the shit out of his mouth when he's trying to sing. Maybe he's drunk when he's doing it, and that's why he's drunkenly ranting, and that's why he has anger issues. Could be. Could very well be. It's pretty evident that whoever he's singing to, he does not like. I'd say, I would probably, I don't use the word very often, but he would hate this person. It just seems to truly care that much about that person, and that's not at all. And it would be a good breakup song to send to somebody who just couldn't get the hint. Like, if you, <laughs> if you had somebody who was stalking you that you're like, I don't care, like Stacy from Wayne's World. Yes, there you go. You know, I the mean, psycho hose beast. Exactly. I mean, and I did you know that that was um, um, oh, what the hell was her name? She was the same chick. She was in Men in Black Two. No, it was this. I'm pretty sure it was the same person. I'm like, oh, I have to look that up. Yeah, because I looked at this. I'm just watching, looking through IMDb again, and I'm just like, she, you're talking no about way. the girl who was also in Dogma. I think so. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up. I'll have to double check. Maybe maybe those, but I'm pretty sure it's those two. Maybe while you're talking about your last song, I'll look that All up. All right, so not a big fan of the song. I like Guns, not as much as you do, obviously. I just This one I don't think was great. Okay, fair enough. So my last one, I'm going to go with a little bit of Puddle of Mud, and that's the song She Hates Me. <laughs> now, Puddle of Mud is an American rock band that formed in 1991 of Wes Scantlin, Jimmy Allen, Sean Salmon, and Kenny Burkett. Per Scanlon, the name came up from their practice space in Kansas City, Missouri. It was near a levee by the Missouri River, so the bottom level of their practice area was always flooded. Their equipment was on the second floor, so nothing got broken. To get through the equipment, the band had to walk through, finger quotes, uh, walk through a pile of shit. <laughs> now, since Pile of Shit probably wasn't a good mainstream band name, they decided to go with Puddle of Mud. They released their first EP, Stuck, in 1994, which didn't really do a whole lot. Oh, see, I was thinking about... A different character. I'm sorry to go back. You're probably thinking of Linda Fiorentino. Yeah, but you she played um, she played Serlina, the main bad guy in Men in Black Mm Two. Yep, you're right. But that was Stacy. I'm just I'm looking at those two. I'm like, holy crap, that's the same person. (laughs) So a bunch of band shakeups followed, leaving Scantlin as the only original surviving member of the band when their following album, Abrasive, released in 1997. Now, of everything I've read, this guy's a complete dick. So for him to be the only person left in the band does not surprise me. Now, again, it was very little fanfare, but the big break came when their demo got to Limp Bizkit's Fred Durst and Scantlin started to rebuild the band. They released their first, their major label debut, Come Clean, in 2001, where it peaked on number nine in the U.S. and has gone triple platinum. They've kept recording and performing, sticking with Durst's label Flawless, which is an offshoot of Geffen. Releasing their latest studio album, Volume 4, Songs in the Key of Love and Hate, in 2009. Puddle of Mud has released five studio albums spawning 16 singles. Two of their albums have gone gold or better. They've never won a Grammy, but they did win four Billboard Music Awards in 2002 for Rock Artist of the Year, Modern Rock Artist of the Year, Modern Rock Track of the Year, and Rock Track of the Year. The last two were for the song Blurry. 
She Hates Me is a title, or not a title, but the She Hates Me is a single off of 2001's Come Clean. It was co-written by lead singer Wes Scantlin and guitarist Jimmy Allen. The story goes that Allen had just broken up with his girlfriend and was inspired by her venomous anger to write the song. Let's go ahead and take a quick listen to She Hates Me. Now, in the song, it starts off like most relationships do, met a girl, fell in love. But then, almost like that, it goes off the rails and in a hurry. The downward spiral goes on from the height of the la-la-la-love to him, from being completely ire of his former relationship and the bane of, his ex of her existence. He's fully aware of it based on the title and the chorus. They broke up, and now she fucking hates me. <laughs> I, I just enjoy this song. It's, it's a simple song. It's a, definitely a breakup song. I saw Puddle of Mud and Finger Eleven play in concert, actually. Nice. And um, that was an opening act for Nickelback in 2004, and the song was a crowd favorite. The entire grandstand was getting behind and singing along with it, to the extent that at the first instance of the chorus, the lead singer stopped mid-chorus with, with a big old grin on his face and just said, hey, this is my song, but then he kept going. <laughs> so there was a lot of audience participation, and it was a really fun song being such a, a harsh topic absolutely goes on the playlist just because kind of like the Sila one it's not an evil song it's it is language wise but it's actually kind of still brings a grin to your face yeah yeah now i don't have a lot to say about this really i mean they do a great job of telling you everything she did to him i've never been treated like this and uh for that i'm thankful, thankful. but it's a great fucking song I, I love this song i really do and you know I don't know. I really don't have anything to say about it other than it's a great song and this would definitely be in the anger portion of my oh, yeah. Yeah. my musical list. So, especially if you were the one that was dumped. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we've got this done. Now, you know what time it is. It is time to come back to the trivia and I see you scribbled a few things down. I did. So, with any kind of luck, you might actually get correct with one of your scribbles or even something you haven't written down. No, it's one I'm going with that I that I wrote down. All right. So, which song gave Arena Rockers and you better not have looked it up on your phone either. I did not. <laughs> I'm not You know, I I want to stay above 500 and even if I get this one wrong, I'm still above 500. But you don't want to cheat to do so. Exactly. All right. So which song gave Arena Rockers Bon Jovi their first number 1 Billboard hit on November 29th, 1986? All right. So, the one I'm not going away with was Runaway, which I know was a big hit for them, but I don't think it was a number 1. Okay. I'm going to go with You Give Love a Bad Name. And I gave you a, this one was kind of a hint for you, too, because what is our topic? Uh, breakup, breakup songs. That's an anti-love song. That's an anti-romance song, and you would be absolutely correct with that. In fact, actually, my original question was worded, what anti-romance song? But I'm like, that's too much of an underhand pitch for you. <laughs> so that is a plus for you, which means you are now 14 and 11. Woo! Yeah! Uh, we'll, All right. we'll have to change that next week. So let's get into announcements. Okay, listen up, everybody. Turn up your volumes. Announcement. So, like we say every week, you know, we want to thank you for listening, but if you have any sort of uh, love, hate for us, want to send us some constructive criticism, anything like that, there are several ways you can do that. First of all, you can reach out to us by email at musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com, 
or at eclecticmediaproject at gmail.com. Either way, give us an email. We'll get back to you. Otherwise, on social media, at Facebook, on Facebook, you can find us at POI Network or at Musically Challenged. Either way, drop us a line out there. We'll get back to you as well. And then, of course, our final way is Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us, you can hit us up at MCPodcast17. And you can send us some love, send us some hate, send us some indifference. Or if you want to send us a playlist, 14 different songs by 14 different artists, please make sure that you have the songs just in case we need them. And if you want a theme, great, but themes don't really mean anything. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, that old uh, TV it's like, show. It's like Who's Line. Yeah, you know? Who's Line. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the points, what is it? The, the Something is made up and the points don't mean anything or something. Yeah, like. yeah. We're, we're the, uh, yeah, but anyway. So once again, uh, thank you guys for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.